Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. What it is, Tyrus here. And uh, you've already heard the cool new music. And this is The Three Wise Men with uh, myself, Tyrus, and my special guest today, uh, Three Wise Men uh, regular, Aaron Stevens, or Aaron Haddad, or Idol, or Sandow. He has more names than you could possibly imagine. And then, of course, my brother from another mother, the great Tavita Fafita, or... I always say wrong. Tangelo? Is it Tangelo? Oh, man. Oh, we're using my wrestling name? Uh, yeah, we Tangaloa all have names on here. Japan. Can we just use T? I like T. You like T? Okay. So <laughs> T it is. Way to, way to come on, man. Uh, T, and at one time he was Camacho in uh, the WWE. And yep. we all have a uh, entangled history. So one of the things about this show, which is different, is we all talk about uh, how we kind of cross paths and some fun stories and then a little bit about each other. So, T, since you're new and this is your debut episode, and see, I even cleaned the place up, man. I got music, which you have, you'll hear it and stuff. So uh, and then, you know, we'll have like a really cool picture of you up. Like You're getting the full you're getting the full regard. You're getting the whole royal treatment. And uh, which, uh, uh, ironically, uh, you are a second generation uh, wrestler. Your father at one time, uh, the great Haku, was the king of the WWE. So I guess the royal thing kind of fits. But uh, you did a really good job of kind of stepping out of that uh, shadow, which is tough for a lot of second generation guys do. And you've really built your own identity, which I think is cool and have a a lot of respect for you. I think Aaron can agree with that. and how did you get into the the wrestling, the sport of wrestling that we have uh, been in for uh, over a decade? Yeah, the goal growing up was never to be a professional wrestler. The goal was uh, to be a, a professional football player. I, I love football. And uh, I got to college, played college ball. And then, yeah, the dream sort of was squashed, diminished. <laughs> And uh, <laughs> so you were literally the saddest man. guest I've ever had on. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Dream. Yeah. And then that's how uh, <laughs> uh, I was like summer of 04. I decided to become a wrestler. Just sitting there kicking a can down the street and the wind's blowing and it's raining on you. And yeah, dude, there was I just a got magazine that said wrestling tryouts ago. here. Somehow, I don't think it went down like that, T. Yeah, I mean, you literally went to a tryout and stood out in front of hundreds of people and uh, and earned a contract the old-fashioned way. Now, uh, T and I met in uh, FCW. It was like literally the first day I was there. I walked in, and and, uh, we immediately became a tag team. And we were the Colossal Connection Part 2, which was named after his... his, uh, the great late Andre the Giant was tag team champions with Haku, and they were the colossal connection. And uh, I am Correct. a wrestling historian. 
uh, an I would say Mark, but historian. And so I thought it would be cool uh, for us to do that. And we were a pretty successful tag team. Uh, I think we wrestled every champion uh, that FCW had. So we were always like the number one contenders. And um, it just, our relationship just yeah, kind of grew. Number grew one contenders forever. Forever, ever. And, um, and then shortly after that, um, Aaron Stevens, a.k.a. Idol, shows up. And he had been uh, in the WWE before, and he had a pretty good run as a tag team where he was known as Idol. And he was now at FCW, and we just kind of formed like a click. And Aaron, you were coming from Puerto Rico, right? Yeah. And see, the funny thing is with the, um, the, the connection and how small the wrestling business actually is, I roomed with T's brother, Pate, in Puerto Rico. We had roomed for almost, I think it was about six, seven months. We had lived together, and uh, we became pretty good friends. And I remember um, my first day walking into FCW, uh, it was, uh, yeah, you were the first person I saw, Tyrus, and you gave me the look of like, well, here we are again. And you just kind of pointed like we sit over there. Yeah. And it was by the uh, it was on that like a back wall by where the um, like those garage doors opened up. And then the, the next person I met was Tavita. And it's funny because I, I Donnie Marlowe. Was call him T. Then. Yes. Donnie Marlowe. Yeah, yeah, Donnie Marlo. yeah, was, uh, yeah. But he was. So I, I am still thinking like, oh, Donnie. And that's how his name is still saved in my phone. But it's clearly not a name that like he goes by and, and did for a short time, but I, I'm getting it in my head. So T we were T T T. And um, so, yeah, you were just like, Hey, I'm Pate's brother. And we all just kind of became friends. Then like, that was where I changed for the duration of my time in FCW. We were always just cool with each other. Well, and that's was the, the wall was the group of guys who like, they would forget it's their birthday. You know, like we were the, everyone would be like today it's uh West Briscoe's birthday. And then, T would be like, isn't it your birthday too? And I'd be like, no, don't worry about it, T. And we yep. were, that's who we were. We were the, yep. we were, the, we were just kind of like forgotten. Like they, they needed us to get guys over, but we were always like the last one they wanted to pick to be like, Hey, that's the guy, you know? And uh, yep. that's the way the business works sometimes. And, and the best part about that is, is proving them wrong, you know? And so, and T was really good at that. Uh, T was, I could always talk. I could always run my mouth. But T was so good at talking that I dumbed down my talking. So when we would do cut promos and stuff, instead of us both talking and taking up all the time, uh, I would let, have T talk, and I would just stand behind him and say one word. And I had got that yeah. from working with uh, – when I was with Snoop, he used to have a guy who would yell that from like 10 feet away when he was talking. In the back, you'd hear this uh, Bishop Don Juan, church – and he'd be like, good, good afternoon, everybody. We're now going to have dinner. Tabernacle. And so he would do that. And I was like, hey, when you, you talk and when you talk, I'll just, I'll just drop a word here or there and you just go. And my whole goal in life was to get him to break by saying the most off-the-wall word I could think of that was relative to his thing. So that's how we did our, our promos. And it got, it got pretty cool. Like we were, it got good to us. And, uh, that was like kind of our thing. And, uh, unfortunately, unless you were at FCW or FCW TV, you did not get, uh, that, uh, that form of entertainment, which is a real, real, uh, tragedy. But I know, uh, Dusty Rhodes loved it. It was like his favorite. Cause he started doing it while well, I he'd be walking around church. <laughs> Velvet. <laughs> so it's just one Manchester word. And all, he'd preach. 
yeah, a little it, hand over here, hand over there when he said one word. Yeah, and that was that was that was our thing. And then you, Eric, you were like, you were like a, a throwback from like AWA. You were like dressed like you were some kind of military general, but no one was, really knew from what army. Strongly, yes, it was a, a kind of Colonel De Beers esque look, but um, I actually. It was nothing to do because Colonel De Beers, he was a, uh, you know, an alleged colonel from South Africa. And, yes. it was, um, you know, they, they did a whole thing with it. And I, I wasn't doing any of that. I was more of like a um, I guess you could call me some kind of a patriot. Yes. And, um, like you should have been I, uh, from Montana. Yes. Yes. Yeah. And uh, but I, I, I did take it a little bit overboard. I had a beret and a riding crop. And uh, I think that there was actually a monocle involved. Yes. Um, yes. At some yes. point, <laughs> that I still find little monocles to this day, like laying around because I, I bought a bunch of them because you never know, and um, you know we can't foresee like a giant monocle shortage. But you know what? Do hey, you still have ago, some around the said, house today? Oh, absolutely! Like yeah. I'm getting ready to move now, and honestly, like I pull up my drawer and there's like two monocles just sitting there, ready to be used. They, every house should have a monocle. Like, you know, like I. I always just have a hard time keeping it in. Like you, you really got to keep like a half a squint. To, no, 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 no. It, it's the, there. You have to position it. The key to a good monocle, right? Like everyone thinks straight up and down. You have to like rest kind of under the crux of your eyebrow, and then you go down, and the skin underneath your eye actually holds it in. Sounds so dangerous. A, no, yeah, it's it actually does sound quite safe. Quite safe, and uh, it saves a lot of room. Like you're not having. Um, you know, like to deal with eyeglass issues and things like that. And, um, you know, you can't really like bling out a monocle. It, it just, it keeps it safe. It oh, keeps it I, I beg to differ. I got some homies in LA that would find a way, uh, you know, it's, I guess it'd be like a fancy eye, but you can't run with a monocle though. Can you, like, you couldn't be like, Oh, I got to get out of here and take off because it's supposed to, what is the actual purpose of a monocle other than to look like you are a military captain? Well, it's to correct your vision. And you see when but the military just one captains, eye. one eye, yeah. Well, which is confusing know, you, when you read. Do you close the other eye? Well, no, because what if you have to multitask? If you're in a war, right, and, and I'm a general, and I need to read a document, and someone comes through the door, I need to have my shooting eye prepared, and then I need to be able to read the document. So it's <laughs> it's from multitasking. You know, Ben Franklin tried to do the same with bifocals, but the problem with bifocals is you have you can't you know make one eye go up and one eye go down no the monocle it sits in one eye you do what you have to get done and if someone is attacking you and it is wartime you can bust caps yeah i feel like you could do the same thing with goggles i, I but church yeah yeah uh another thing uh t now i am uh Self-described as I was probably a little bit, uh, I would say, reckless individual. Uh, never saw a nightclub or at that time or a party I, I didn't like and uh, lived life uh, accordingly. T was always the straight line guy. He was the guy who like would be like, okay, guys, it's, uh, it's about 1245. We got a train tomorrow, so we should probably wrap this up. Like, he was always the guy who made the right decision, you know, like he yes. would, he, it was impossible. We were bad, you know, we were bad guys, but like, I'd be like, kick that guy in the throat. And he'd be like, no, he breathes out of that throat. That that would just be horrible. Just beat him the traditional way. Like T never broke rules and he always carried himself like phenomenal. He, he his off the field issues, like 
him being with me was great because my issues could be his. I could be so bad that I could spread a little bit over to T. Because that was nothing about T. He always was like, oh, yeah, okay, I got you. No problem. Oh, you need me to – I robbed the bank with you? Fine. I got – no problem. I understand. I understand. Like he – I was always waiting for that day that he was just going to snap, you know. But uh, he always was – he always was the good guy. Like you are always the good guy. I've, I've never met anyone who was like, hey, have you met T? Oh, man, that guy. He is the worst. Like he's always on time. He's always training. Like you, you've never seen T where he's like had a bad month where he's just like let himself go for a month. You know, like. Yeah, yeah I had, always... I had it well. <laughs> no, I'm just saying thing? like, you know, like could you imagine T with like a bear gut? Like it's just not. No, like, God, no. You know what I'm saying? No. <laughs> like most everyone no. gained weight in the pandemic except T. How is that possible? Still jacked. And oh, here's it. Like what, T, the first time I wrestled T, I will never forget this. And T is, you know, was then and still is jacked. I mean, he's a tank, but as big and as strong as he looks, he he is just next level strength. Like you know, did not expect him to pick me up like a child kind of strength. And, um, yeah, that was like one of those things where I'm, man, I am so glad T is the nicest guy in the world because he's on my side. And, uh, I just concur with you in terms of, I, I don't think T angry would be a good thing. You know what T I'm curious. What was it like meeting me or an Aaron for the first time when, cause you, you had just, you had been there for what, about six months. Yeah, I was there for about six months before you got there. Right. And then I just assumed that we were tagging. I don't even think I asked. I was like, yo, we're tagging. And <laughs> Yeah, no, hey, for real, you, that's what you did. <laughs> you said, he's like, hey, we're going to tag. And I was like, cool. Uh, when I first met you, though, I, I, I just thought you were a huge dude. <laughs> I was like, you came in, I think you came in with jean shorts on. Yeah. I think you came in with jorts. Yeah, they were still fashionable. They're not yes, anymore. They, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they were. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I had to let the jean shorts go. I replaced them with sweat shorts. So. And the towel. And the towel. Yeah. The towel was from bodyguard days. You know, uh, that was I, I wore it as a um, to cover up my fist if I had hit somebody. So I wouldn't leave a mark. Oh, that's why you have that. I thought it was some kind of a football reference because, you know. You no, kept, and, and it wasn't like I always just tell people I had allergies, but. No, oh. I, I learned if you wrap your fist before you hit a guy, if you have time, you won't leave knuckle prints. So, and, oh. it's, and it's harder to make sense because when you when a guy when I when a guy my size hit a guy, you leave a mark, and then they're like, "Oh, this is not going to be hard to find. We got to look for either Bigfoot or the biggest guy in the club." So, <laughs> if you put if you put if you wrap a towel around it, it's just a blur. You know, not that again on three wise men, we do not condone violence, but if you must. I suggest uh, wearing a towel, but no one ever, I always plan an exit strategy. It's like in all the forensic file stuff you watch guys, but the, all the killers make the same mistake. They focus so much on the act. They never have a good exit strategy. Mm -hmm. Never. And, mm -hmm. and then, you know, there's always for some reason, semen in every scene of crime. So, I mean, there's, they never think about just wait until they get away from the murder scene to celebrate. But, you know, I always think of an exit mm -hmm. strategy. So that always, that always uh, served me well, but um, yeah, every time I get to a restaurant or a, a public place, I'm always looking for the exit. So, and you're, you're also ready to go. Yeah, because yeah. T, did you do you remember? And you'll attest to this. You've traveled with him. One of the things I would 
really genuinely pop for is that when it was time to get up and go to Bob Evans or Waffle House or wherever, it was not just the towel, which he would like have tucked in the front of his shorts, but it was the knee pads, the elbow pads. Like he was ready to compete right there at all times, <laughs> right? Like remember the neoprenes? <laughs> Sorry, I just remember the knee pads. I don't remember, but yeah, you're right. right. Hey, I got it's time to like, go. He, I don't have time. Pull those things up. <laughs> <laughs> you want to wait 45 minutes to for his knee sleeves no, to you come know what off? I'm talking about me. <laughs> like you, you it's time to go, you know? And probably yep. uh, most of the time, T and I would go to the gym <laughs> after lunch. So we didn't have, you know, we'd have a nice lunch, then we had to go drive to Hard Knock South and work out. So yep. I'm saving us like 15, 20 minutes of prep time. Yes. Yeah, that is true. Because yeah, right. to unlace your boots, and yeah, it's a it is a lot. Right. Now I never wore boots in the restaurant because that's just ridiculous. And yeah, it probably would have took an extra thirty seconds to take knee sleeves off. But I I was just trying. I was trying to make moves. I was being selfless. I was trying to be like T. And you guys made fun of me for it. No, no, see, we never <laughs> privately. No, no, I never made no fun you of never said it to my face. No, you're smart. Yeah, privately. No, I said I popped. That's like by pop for you non wrestling people. What a pop is. That is when you react in a favorable way. Um, like when you, you know, the good guy hits the bad guy and the bad guy falls down, the people pop, they all start cheering. Yeah. So I just supported the neoprene towels and whatever other kind of gadgets, because there were many like headphones with projectors attached to them and, and things like that. I was a supporter of it. And I still am to this day for that matter. Yeah. You know, I, I was just thinking we were, Okay, now the another thing about T is he's a consistent uh, creature of habit, and we all kind of fall into that. Like, we we wouldn't ever search for rest. Like, we our thing was lunch, you know, and we would we would have yes. one little lunch. And it was like a sandwich place. What was it? Crispers? Was that the name of the yeah, place? Yeah, and it was like Crispers, yeah. that was our favorite thing to do. Like that was our day. You get done training and like Crispers. Oh yes, Crispers. It's time for Crispers. No one else shared our love for our little lunch spots, you know, because oh, you Dale Mabry. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. It's not there anymore. Right, but, okay. The, yeah. yeah. The chicken place, right? Sandwiches. It could be chicken, but we, yeah. You get a cup of soup and a half a sandwich, and uh, oh, all right. Tavita's right. one crack chocolate chip cookies, which he should yeah. be four hundred pounds with as much as he will. He will knock out a, a whole box of chocolate chip cookies without even thinking about it. Yeah, I'm sure. He- yeah, he, he loves he loves chocolate chip cookies. Like it's if you put chocolate chip cookies on the on the table, it's. He'll apo- the thing about him. He'll apologize later, but he's taking them all. Like if you don't watch him, he's taking them all. There's no oh, like three right, cookie right. rule. He he loves his chocolate chip cookies. But we we were just creatures of habit. I think that has a lot, and I think that's a wrestling thing to where your routine is the is the only way you're able to like maintain any kind of mental positive mental health. Like because the business the the training is so intense, especially when you're not on TV yet. You, the training is what uh, it starts typically what with nine in the morning, and mm-hmm. then it goes to what like uh, twelve thirty one. I think that's I think that's about right. But mm-hmm. yeah, about twelve thirty one. Yeah. What T would do <laughs> to maximize is that he would want to work out at five in the morning. He wanted to do a pump class at five in the morning before <laughs> training. Oh yeah, I forgot about that pump class. And I used to think this must be one. <laughs> sexy, attractive trainer. So I was like going with him because I was trying to get some dirt. I needed something to hold over his head to make him do things he didn't want to do. So I went going, oh, I'm going to, I can't wait to see the trainer. And it was not, that was not the case at all. 
uh, it was like a, it was a real class. And he was like, he had his own spot in the class. He knew everybody like they're like, hey, T. I was like, wow. And now I'm stuck in this class, <laughs> you know, and now I got to go every day. So we would train, then go to practice, then have our lunch and then go train at Hard Knock South. And then I would go home and have an ice bath and then and be asleep by 730 at night. So I wasn't able to go out at night because I was too tired training, uh, training with T because T was train, 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 train. And then uh, and then he would he would then eat right and then he'd get his rest. So uh, and Etor, uh, Big E was part of that part of that click. Hold on to your steering wheels, folks. We'll be right back after this. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The only time I ever disrupted it was when I was filming my first movie, uh, No One Lives. And I would be, uh, I was just, I had just come off the road. I was with Alberto and, um, but they had me go back because I had my head split and they didn't have anything on for me for TV yet. So I was filming this movie. So I would fly in every Wednesday and literally scoop them up. And then we would go to like the green iguana and then we'd end up like at a, at a strip club at the end of the night. But we would literally every Wednesday night was part. It was it became part of our routine. Everything was focused around that that night. And yeah, man, eight, it lasted for about eight to ten weeks. Yeah, yeah, and and I think T probably turned more strippers into. I got to get a new job. This guy's right. <laughs> he was That's so cool. No, no, what a refreshing like, take. Yes, he was on a strip club patron. Yes, he was. <laughs> he was like a pasture. Like he would go in there and they'd be best friends, high five, and I'm like, what? 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 No, that's not. And they would be like, you know what? I'm done. I'm quitting. I'm I'm going back to school. You know? And you'd be like, wow. And they're like, thanks, T. And I'm like, who is this guy? This is not what. No, you. That was not like that. He like that. He, he didn't get to that. <laughs> oh, okay. This is the type of guy T, t is. Idol, when when you break up with a girlfriend, is it over? Oh yes. Are you friends? No. Would you go oh, to their wedding? <laughs> what? Would you go to their like you break up and you get a phone call and it's your ex and she invites you to the wedding? What would you say? Nothing, because that would never happen. That okay. would never. Like the thought of that, I can't. I can't even process that. Are you, wait a minute, did this actually happen? Hold on, that would never happen, right, T? I I've been invited. <laughs> I, I just never went. T, that you're a better man than I. Superman would be like this guy. There's got to be something wrong with him. Like T is always. He is the most righteous dude, uh, and it just. And he is, uh, ironically, he's the uncle uh, of my son. So it's like, I know that my bad habits will not be tolerated, you know, because T, my son acts more like his uncle than he does me. And I am thrilled to death about it. Absolutely That's awesome. thrilled. <laughs> That's awesome. You know, I could not be happier. <laughs> like, I'd be like, hey, son, let's go be bad guys. 
And you're like, no, nope, I'm going to be the good guy. He won't even, he won't even let me buy him like bad guy action figures. He only has the good guys. Like, I'll be like, oh, this bad guy's cool. Like, no, nah, I'm not really into Darth Vader. He's really negative. I'm like, <laughs> and I just stand in my breath. Is he still customizing them? Yes, is, yes, is, he's still working on that. Yes, he's because like he was showing me it was a Dragon Ball Z thing uh, or something like that. Um, but it was like he he had painted it and it was just like it looked professionally done. Yeah, he works he works in that hard. And speaking professional, so at one point all of us get fired from the WWE. Actually, I think me and T were fired on the same day, if I remember right. Yeah, we were. Yeah, we were fired on the same day. And uh, my path, I ended up going. I went to Impact, and then uh, I ended up on on Fox News. But you took uh, an Aaron. You were there a little bit longer, and then Aaron ended up joining me in Impact. Uh, T, you had a little uh, little little stop at Impact, but you then went to New Japan, and a lot of uh, American wrestling fans, or a lot of people that have never, that no one's ever really talked about New Japan. Now, Japanese wrestling is completely different in terms of like fans and stuff. And could you talk about it a little bit so people can get an idea? Like Americans all screaming and loud, and but uh, I've wrestled in Japan a few times, and it's a completely different. Is it safe to say that like wrestling is looked at more as an art form, like a respected? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, like uh, the Japanese. Uh, it's becoming more the the crowd's becoming more westernized. They're they're uh, they're getting I think a better understanding of how it works, not like U.S. crowds, but uh, in Japan the Japanese are very very uh, respectful to the sport because it's very it is still a sport to them. It's not entertainment. It's a sport. It's legit to them. So when they're in the crowd. Uh, there's barely yeah, any yelling or anything when they, when they find something favorable or they like uh, Aaron had mentioned before. And when they get a pop, their pop is more of a, Ooh, or like a, ah, it's not like a, and then there's that, not that random clap. Cheering. I could right. never figure out. I could never time the clap. You know, like you hit a guy with a big suplex and you hear the ooh, and then as you pick him up, there's the clap, and then you stop, like, oh, thank you. <laughs> and then you right. do something else, and you're like, there's no clap. These guys hate this. And then when the match is over, they clap. It's like a, it's like a performance for them. Like it's 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 one of those things where once you kind of figure it out, it's really cool. Like it is, uh, it is. Oh yeah. What would you? What was? What is your favorite crowd? Is it a Japanese crowd, an American crowd, or a European crowd? Because European crowds sing songs and stuff. Uh, I, I love hearing the crowd. Uh, you know how it is when, when you're, you're an athlete and like you get to play in front of, like especially in football, we got to play in front of crowds of like forty thousand plus. So just to feel that like the noise, the sound, the the cheering. I think I enjoy that more so than cuz I just you when you feel energy like that, it helps with the adrenaline and helps put you sort of in a groove and allows you to perform. I feel like it allows you to perform better. Uh like you said with, with the Japanese when it's quiet, you really are unsure if you're putting on a good show or not until you hear the clap and then you're like a little bit relieved. Right. But if you don't, don't feel it consistently, you're always like, Oh, so I always feel like no, go ahead. the States in, in Europe is amazing when you, uh, when you get to wrestle there. Aaron, what about you? 
Um, you know, it, it's different, right? So I, I have not ever wrestled in Japan, believe it or not. And I, I think, find that hard to believe. Yeah, it's weird. It's just one of those countries I've never, ever set foot in. And um, I, uh, I don't know how I would be because, you know, you guys have both worked with me and stuff like that where I will kind of just get this, you know, thing in my brain where, okay, the crowd's going to do this here and that there. And we'll, you know, and if anything happens in the ring, we can just take it and go with it. And I... To me, silence is death. And, you know, what uh, T was describing was a different kind of silence. It was silence based on interest in the match. Um, and then they just they show their appreciation in a different way. Whereas, you know, European crowds and uh, North American crowds, they will show their appreciation by either booing you and, you know, saying not so nice things to you or cheering you, depending. And, um, you know, because to me as a heel, too, I, I would just think it's death if I'm yelling at them and there, there's no reaction. But, um, you know, like I say, you don't know until you actually get out there. So if I was ever in Japan, I, I would like to see how it would feel. But I I want to ask you a question. Like, how did you adjust to that? Like, was there an adjustment period or was it like when you got in the ring, were you like, oh, OK, this is how it is. And like after one or two matches, you were good to go. Yeah, it was like I think after one or two, I was fine with it. Uh, the thing was like uh, when we're in the major cities, I got a better feel for it. But when we're in like small towns, like when we go to these towns where like the arena is just real, and like like you're out in like rice paddies, that's when like when it was quiet, quiet. That's when you always had that moment of question of like, mm-hmm. are they entertained? Are they enjoying this? But when you're in the like major cities like uh, Osaka, Hiroshima, Tokyo, of course, and then you get into Fukuoka, like those cities, like they'll give you what you're looking for as far as like sound or as far as like a, a reaction. So like it's not as bad as it once was like back in the day. Uh, but yeah, those small towns, yeah, those those were the ones where you're always like questioning second guessing yourself but it wasn't as bad i will say though i do aaron and you will pop for the introductions in japan are way better oh with the The, streamers and i mean that's how you do it the announcers like and uh they called me kaiju so that you know they'd be saying my thing they'd be like kaiju and i'd be like yes i'm about to somebody up tonight and poor nick alvis is on the (laughs) side going hey easy bro like hey this is exhibition man like no i i do agree with you on that a hundred percent. Yes, the introductions and when far they, exceed. And when they raise your hand, when you when you win the winner, because you got to stay, and they like, and then you come out at the end for a celebration where you're honored. That's 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 pretty good. That's pretty good. Then you got to come back with confetti all over you, and the guy you just beat sitting across the locker room, like, Did you have a good time. You're like, oh man, it's confetti everywhere. <laughs> you can't. You, I didn't do that. I was like, yeah, this is awesome. I'm glad I won. I'm really, wow. I really feel good. I won. I would really feel terrible if I lost. Like that would be awful. Just watching you guys get celebrated. That's just <laughs> wow. That would just suck. I mean, but you're you're doing a good job of it, Nick. Like, you know, like good I'm not you, aware man. of that. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a, a celebration ceremony. It's a celebration. Yep. It's a celebration ceremony. So which was wow. Which is very cool. Don't you dare touch that dial. And if you do have a dial, you need an upgrade. We'll be right back. You guys have wrestled all over the world. You've been everywhere. Um, T, you 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 literally travel to Japan. How many days a year would you say you're in Japan? Uh, I'm pretty much like six on average, 
before the pandemic, like six months out of the year, I'm there. And Aaron, you've been everywhere, and um, but you spent an extensive amount of time down in Puerto Rico. Yes, I was there 18 months straight. Okay, and Puerto Rico is known as being a pretty uh, raucous crowd. Like, uh, oh, they can um, be extremely aggressive, especially to to guys that they don't like, as or you would call in the business, I guess, in the sport heels. But uh, they can they can be aggressive. You you've seen that firsthand, though. No, I mean, I, I, I've told you the story about when I... Uh, well, tell everybody else. Well, had to, um, you know, <laughs> so essentially, uh, I took a third-party booking, which a local neighborhood, uh, shall we call him, entrepreneur... Drug dealer, um, got it. Yes, um, decided to have a show, <laughs> and essentially, everyone was cool with the ring being put up in an intersection of a public street, um, I mean, look, there were just people in the streets, people hanging off the balconies. There was like, you know, it was in a housing project. So there was about like, it must have been like five or six stories high. So again, everything's jammed. I changed in this person's uh, bedroom, believe nice. it or not. That was the locker room. Was like, no, just go in here, put your stuff on, go to the ring. Okay. No security. And I got well, the ring. One. And, he's um, a drug dealer. You don't, you know, he's, I'm sure he was feared. Yes. Well, I, I needed one because after I got in the ring, I noticed, you know, at, at the shows I was working for, for WWC with T's brother, like we had security, there were nets, you know what I mean? Here there was none. So like a rock went whizzing by my head and I'm going, Oh God, here we go. And then Ooh. like, I remember seeing it was a spark plug. It was the weirdest thing. It like got thrown in the ring, hit me and kind of bounced off my leg. And then I saw like through the night it was coming. So what I did, and I don't condone this at all, but I got up on the middle rope, facing inside the ring, uh, bent over and mooned them. So I let them unload, like with everything that they had, they were going to throw. I gave them a target, in other words, and they threw it at my. So you literally put your ass on the line. <laughs> yes. And I did that to one side. I went to the other side and did it. So people had kind of exhausted options to throw at me. Right. And then I, uh, I remember wrestling the match. There was all kinds of stuff in the ring. Uh, another time. I was burnt. I still have the scar on my arm. Um, they would take like pennies or quarters or whatever, and they would pinch them in a pair of pliers, sit there and put a lighter to the coin. And then you'd walk to the ring, they'd stick you. Um, so I have a, you know, a scar on my arm for that. An old lady maced me one time on my way to the ring. I had to go to the back Ooh, and actually finish. Wow. Oh yeah. Yeah. Pate may have been there for that one. Um, maced yeah. Like just on my way to the ring and straight up maced me. Cause she couldn't stand my promos. What I was saying. Wow. But um, it, it was very different than the Japan crowd. And, and like, you know, we're in Japan, it was based off of respect. And in, in Puerto Rico, it was really like, we love the good guys. We hate the bad guys. And, and, and here's the funny thing. And I, I think you guys will attest to this. Like, they're both awesome, right? Like to, to have a crowd like Japan, but to have that, that heated crowd like Puerto Rico as a performer, you know, despite any kind of minor injuries, uh, you may sustain because of the fans. There is just nothing like having that that spectrum of emotions to play with. We're like they're going to be happy, they're going to be angry, and it's just it's the best. Right. Yeah, you know, and that's uh, real quick before we, we move on because I want to talk about the the Dave Chappelle situation. Who, real quick, T? Who and uh, Aaron? What one wrestler was probably the most influential? uh in in your wrestling career like who would you say you emulate because you all everyone has at least one uh, i have like 50 but um which which one would you say was the guy that stands out the most to you like affects your style and 
God. Wow. Um, I don't know if I can narrow it down to one. Like if there was, if there was one guy you could wrestle, who would it be? Oh, if there was one guy I could wrestle, it would be Adrian Adonis. You know what? That's a great choice. Damn you. Because that, that his bumps were like crazy. Like he completely, yeah. Like I mean, the laws of physics didn't apply to him. Which, but which version? Adorable Adrian or or Jack New York leather jacket Adrian? Uh, I'll go with adorable only because when you are three hundred and thirty pounds and you are moving like an Olympic level figure skater, I'm not exaggerating. Look him up if you yeah. don't believe me. Roddy Piper, um, adorable Adrian Adonis, uh, WrestleMania three, enjoy. Enjoy my favorite yeah, match ever. Funny. Seriously, my favorite match ever. I, you know, uh, Savage and, and Steamboat get all the credit, but I, I really think those guys gave them a run for their money. If you listen to the crowd, and here's my point: Hogan and Andre drew the house. Absolutely, none of us are going to debate that. Right. Steamboat and Savage, they, from a wrestling standpoint, stole the show. From a performance standpoint, if you watch that match from WrestleMania three, and you listen to the people. At no point in the match were they silent. They were literally screaming the whole time, and that's very difficult to do. And those two guys did it better than any other, in my opinion. Uh, yeah, I'm standing behind you. All right, T. I didn't know Aaron was. I was saving him for last because I'm like, damn it. That was awesome. I, yeah. I I still don't. I don't know if I could. I really. Uh, maybe. You, you, you're killing me. You know what, man? I would. Uh... <laughs> I would, I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to wrestle. I would like to go. Uh, if I could pick one guy, whether I'd be a heel or a babyface, I'd probably be a heel, and I would want to wrestle Ricky Steamboat. I would really? want the dragon. Fair I enough. would work the dragon. Yeah, because he sold, and I would look like a million bucks mm-hmm. for selfish reasons. Yeah. Ah, uh, yeah. Okay, I'll give you that. Yeah, yeah, I'll take that one. Because nobody, I mean, everyone gets credit, but let's be real. The best-looking guy in the history of wrestling is Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Like, that dude, I'm surprised he didn't have 7,000 children. Like, this dude, (laughs) he just, everything about him is just, and then when he, you know what? He's a lot like T. They're a lot alike. He could never be a heel. Like, is there ever, I know they tried it when he was young blood, like, back in the, but, like, everyone loved him. Everyone loved him. Like, uh, and I think all the other babyface hated him. You know, I definitely know Hogan was jealous of him because we never saw him oh, again God, after yeah. that awesome match at WrestleMania three. Uh, and I'm mm-hmm. sure some politics had some stuff to do with that. But, uh, you know, whatever. But, yeah, for my money, if you put me in an arena with with, uh, you know, 10,000 people plus, I, I want Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. Yeah, that's a good one. OK, T, this is this is getting ridiculous. Pick one or we're going to pick one for you. No, it, like, uh, I'll, you know, Don Morocco. Family, I, no. <laughs> okay. I wouldn't wrestle Don Donnie Marlowe. <laughs> uh, that's why I said. Nah, not, not well, Don you know what? In T's defense. I, l- l- Hercules so, Hernandez. Well, <laughs> I love Hercules, though. He was an amazing person. Love that guy. Okay. Uh, While T is now, pondering if, this. If, 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 oh, I, ahead, if uh, One, I, I admire the Hart family. I love everybody that's in part of the Hart family. Um, I'm. Like, I love Dynamite Kid. He was amazing. I think, though, if I were to wrestle anybody, I would try to wrestle Dad when he was younger. I think right before he got to WWE. That's a good political when answer. he's, like, traveling around. Yeah. I would uh, wrestle Dad. 
There is a match uh, with uh, Haku, your dad, against Big John Studd in Madison Square Garden. That oh, yeah. was the day I wanted to become a wrestler. And I think I've shown that to anyone who's ever asked me. Uh, it was Madison Square Garden, and uh, I think they called him King Tonga. They, I think they just made it up. And the story was yeah, was that he was in a taxi cab where he lost his wallet coming from Egypt. And he literally got out of the – dropped off at the taxi and walked into the arena. They go, you got Big John Stud, 10 minutes, good luck. And Madison Square Garden was off the rafters. And him and Big John Stud probably had the most physical match I have ever seen. Big John Stud's face and chest – looked like uh, a red carpet. Up. I mean, just lit up. Yeah. And then your dad did a, a haka dance. The place went crazy. Like, I had never heard Madison Square Garden go out like that. They were going nuts, and the place was going nuts. And Big John Studd, rest his soul, was such a great heel that this no this guy from nowhere has got the place going crazy, and he could have powdered and left, and he kept going back. And I remember watching Bobby Heenan screaming at him going, what are you doing? Let's go. You don't have to do yeah. this. And Big John Studd pushes him off, and he says, and you read his lips, this kid's over. And he goes back in the ring and gets chopped up again. Like, And I was just like, and as a fan, you watch it, you're like, this is great. But as once you're in the business, you're like, wow, that's how much, that's when you know uh, a guy has got it. When a, a season, and Big John Studd didn't have to put nobody over. You know, he even had a contract. He picked who he lost to. And for him to do that says a lot about your dad. But, yeah, I would I would pay money to see that match. I, I would definitely buy that ticket. Without and, a doubt. Now, speaking of tickets, so you guys know all the – Dave Chappelle had somebody jump on the stage and try to basically take him out. I mean, he had a, a, mm-hmm. a knife right. disguised as a gun, which in itself is the craziest, stupidest That's thing I've ever heard in my life. insane. Uh, why would you have that. a fake gun that turns into a knife? Like – you would rather have a knife that turns into a gun, I would well, think. Like if he was going to assault him on stage, he would probably want to make like a ha ha, wait, I have a gun. And everybody goes, Ooh. And then he pulls the he goes, No, I'm going to stab you instead. Everyone's <laughs> like, ah. And then everybody goes, Ah. Yeah. It was... And then security takes care of the rest. But being being a performer, Aaron, and you talked about in Puerto Rico, they threw rocks and stuff. Comedy, you know, it's been under attack, and it's not about being political here. But there's a, there seems to be a license to go after someone who has says a joke at your expense or has a difference of opinion to the point where like there's a, a certain population in this country that feels like you should even lose your job when you make a joke. Which I find, I don't think there is a red line with jokes. You just don't listen to that comedian again if you don't like him. But yeah, uh, you know, because, but. How much of this do you think has to do with the Will Smith thing to where it's kind of emboldened the wrong crowd? Like we have a we have a segment of our society that is just stupid people who do stupid things and they see celebrities do things and they think, oh, okay, I'm gonna do the same thing the next time I don't like something because you get all the attention and you become fam- you basically become famous. This guy's famous, although he looks like twisted metal, but and rightfully so. And as a former bodyguard, I'll get into that when it's my turn. But uh, is there first, I guess the thing is, is there ever a reason to hit a comedian? In my opinion, absolutely not. I mean, when you go to a comedy show, just like when you go to any other show or I mean, we no different than in wrestling, right? Like if you can irritate and get under someone's skin that much right in the wrestling business, you're doing a good job. As a comedian, 
your job is to make people laugh and kind of, you know, in, in a sense of humor. And I, I believe it was uh, Fulton Sheen, um, who was a, uh, believe it or not, a bishop televangelist years ago. He always said the, uh, the point of a sense of humor and what a sense of humor is, rather, is the ability to kind of see through things, right? And, and laugh at yourself and have a perspective. And we have gotten to the point where, as a society, so many people are just kind of basing their identities on taking up causes and doing the right thing and like, or what they think is the right thing, excuse me, uh, and kind of jumping on these bandwagons that when something happens like the Will Smith incident, it causes a ripple effect of ignorance. And you have people now like, oh, Chappelle, yes, Netflix, bad. I'm going to do what Will Smith did, you know, and, and use that as a platform. Um, you know, in terms of like breaching the stage and assaulting a comedian like that's no, that's not a platform. That's that's being an idiot. And um, you know what? Good for Dave Chappelle for continuing to take the stance he does on it. Yeah. You know, uh, T, especially, you know, traveling and working and uh, all over the world and stuff. How much weight do you put on uh, Will Smith Smith's actions? On, it was such, you know, basically the whole world saw him slap a comedian for making a joke, then go back to his seat and call him some names, and then nothing happened to him. Do you think what was more powerful, the the, the slap or the fact that there was really no consequences? I think it was the fact that there wasn't consequences immediately as soon as it happened. Uh, he went back to his seat and nothing, zero, nada. You know, since we were kids, we were taught, Everything has consequences, whether it's good or bad. But Will Smith walked back to his seat and nothing happened. And like you said, millions of people watched this happen. So now, like you said, there are people who think because Will Smith did it, they're like, I could do that. And then the, they've taken this stance where if I do this, nothing's going to happen to me. And then luckily... It proves wrong, thanks to that incident. Someone attacked Dave Chappelle, and he met consequence. He got some uh, real life consequences, ASAP. and that's the, and yes. I think that's the point. And a great point, T and Aaron. The point is, is that when you live in the woke world, which is first world problems, and they live in that exterior where you know the. It's fake problems that you can manipulate and control are the hardest things. Like, oh, it's a trigger for me seeing this. And, and if someone doesn't recognize me for how I want to be called and labeled, those aren't real problems. And, but they get emboldened because they think the Twitterverse is the real world. And it's not. Most people live in the interior. So they have real problems, paying bills, raising their kids, dealing with other people, et cetera, keeping their jobs, all real problems, staying healthy, all that stuff. Mm -hmm. Nobody told this individual and looking at him, you know, he's obviously has he's he's got some some statement he was trying to make. He didn't go to that event to see Dave Chappelle tell jokes. He went there on a mission. It wasn't one joke. He said that he was just so upset or he was heckled by Dave and reacted. He was waiting for his moment. And he even had the weapon, which is the, the who buys a gun disguised as a knife. It doesn't even make sense. I mean, yeah. Like, what, what, is yeah. there a market for that? Like, I don't what, know. I, I can thought, understand yeah. the cane knife. Right. Yeah. Because it's 
I have a cane. I'm a, you know, I yeah. have a leg problem. Ha ha. No. And it's actually a half sword. Yeah. I can even understand a pen knife. You know what I'm talking about? The little knives that you can. Yes. Right. That's, but when it's a gun and then it's a knife, it's like, no, man, you just, you took a step down. Yeah, that's exactly right. And, um, so when he rushed the stage, he was just thinking he was going to tackle or whatever he was going to do, or maybe he was going to try to kill Dave. I don't know. But, you know, he thought he was going to be a hero. He thought that the groups that came out against him were that came out against Dave Chappelle would praise him and he'd be in the news and he'd be, his face would be everywhere and he'd be able to make a statement or whatever. It's just that he didn't realize that, first of all, Dave Chappelle is shredded like a Julian salad. You know what I'm saying? The brother trains. He's not little Chappelle anymore, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, I'm pretty sure Ch- Chappelle just shrugged him off, didn't he? Yeah, he just dumped him. But the cold part was Buster Rhymes was there. I know Buster Rhymes. I've been around him. I've been. I'm a big guy. Buster is like a biscuit away from 300, and he's a solid brother. He's strong. So you had to deal with that and the security. And I'm telling you, as a bodyguard, when somebody rest, rushed the stage on Snoop, and it happened a few times. My job is to end them to where they can no longer compete aggressively, which means bones are going to be. I'll go to court gladly, uh, but I am not going to. That guy is not going to get at my client again. So I'm going to end him. And there was a situation that I had to deal with uh, me and keys where a guy made a move. We basically had a human tug of war with him until his arm snapped. And then I let go because the loud snap made me go, damn, like I think I broke him. And then, uh, but still, as he went to get up, I put him down so he wouldn't get up anymore. And then we dragged him off to the police because that's what you have to do. He got some, I mean, this dude was twisted up. He, he looked like origami gone horribly wrong. Uh, and the, he was ambulance and he was taken off and all that stuff. And there was some real life lessons. The problem is, is groups that will come out and say that it was Chappelle's fault, that his words caused the violence. It's basically saying Look at the way you were dressed, Dave Chappelle. Of course you got attacked instead of saying that under no circumstances is what that individual did okay. But because they're, they want to cancel whatever takes the spotlight off them, whatever doesn't give them praise, they want to cancel. Like they have to go, he has a different opinion, or people are laughing at him. And the ones they hate the most are the guys they can't cancel, the Dave Chappelle's, because he has, makes his own deals. He makes his own specials. He doesn't rely on the network. He doesn't rely on um, the big uh, no. entertainment companies. Same thing with Elon Musk. Who's going to cancel Elon Musk? He's, he's a billionaire. Yeah, but, but you, you know what disturbed me? Um, going back you know, a, a few months, or maybe it was a year ago, to the whole Chappelle thing, was, okay, there was an uproar. And all right, so I went and I, I watched it on Netflix. Like, if you listen to the last five minutes of that, it is how Dave Chappelle took an up-and-coming comedian who was trans and helped them, literally gave them a hand up and, and said, hey, this is how, you know, kind of a coach, right? That that was what I took yeah, out of it. It was and, just and they, like you would they, do they... for anyone else. But here's the thing. Yes. Their, their theory is that his jokes rel- get put trans in danger. Uh, there's no stat to support that. That's like every joke, because most of his jokes against are against us, his fellow brothers, black yeah. people. And he performs in front of a lot of white people. And I've yet to see a news report to where after the show, a group of white people like that, Dave Chappelle, made those brothers sound idiot. Let's go get one. Like, this is for Dave Chappelle. He told us you guys can't do that. You know, it's never happened. Like, blaming yeah. blaming a comedian 
because that's what they do. They just make up fake stats and then everyone, no one investigates it. And if you do investigate it, then you're racist. So it's like a whole thing. Uh, it's just unfortunate. And hopefully the message was was sent. But we'll, we're just going to have to see if this is a trend. But this this goes back to uh, Will Smith. And it just it, it frustrates me that he would allow himself to do that, you know, to put it to get in that situation, because it, it still didn't where his wife, you know, I didn't need him to protect me like she buried him. So it, there was no reason for it. Yo, no she justice. buried him good. Yeah, I, you know, I was hoping Will Smith would divorce that chick. After yeah, she said that. Yeah, that was horrible because she's the one who made him do it. But, but he did it, so it's on him. All right, fellas, this has been uh, a deep philosophical conversation, and um, and we learned a lot about uh, T today. T, thanks so much for joining us. Hopefully, you will come back. Uh, Aaron, always kind of a pleasure. Um, well, you know, yeah, no, I appreciate you having us. The, the whole, the whole, yeah, awesome talking to catch up with you guys. Yeah, uh, yeah, it was awesome talking, man. It's been a minute. T, when are you back in uh, Japan, and where can people find you on social media? I'm back in Japan at the end of the month, June first. I go back to Japan. But if you want to hit me up on social media, I am found on Instagram and on Twitter at the handle at Tongaloa NJPW. It's at T A. N-G-A-L-O-A-N-J-P-W. Aaron? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Aaron's Thoughts, A-R-O-N-S Thoughts, or on Instagram at The Aaron's Files, T-H-E-A-R-O-N Files. Uh, and you can catch me at, at Tyrus Smash on Instagram and uh, Planet Tyrus on Twitter. I'm not spelling it because if you can't spell those ones, I probably don't want you following me anyway. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I uh, appreciate y'all, man. This has been. Oh, and of course, Aaron and myself, you will see us uh, June, I believe it is, 13th, uh, NWA pay-per-view in uh, Tennessee. I'll also be doing a book signing there as well. Don't and, think about jumping over the guardrail. Yeah. Yeah. Don't even try. Run I up, mean, get done up. That's exactly. Uh, break bread or play dead. So, uh, all right, then. So that's it. You can catch us at NWA, and then all of that information will be on our uh, social media Instagrams or look up uh, at NWA. Uh, so for uh, the three wise men, this has been Tyrus. For more podcasts like this, you can check us out at foxnewspodcast.com. Thanks, fellas. Enough said. I'm Charles Payne. Listen to my Unstoppable Prosperity podcast so I can get you making money right now. Whether stocks are hitting new all-time highs or in free-fall mode, opportunities abound. So why are so many potential investors still sitting on the sidelines? In a new season of my podcast, I'm going to get you in the game. After 38 years on Wall Street, I'm ready to impart some lessons and get you invested in the greatest wealth-generating machine in history. Listen anytime, everywhere at foxbusinesspodcast.com or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast.